You are listening to Been There, Done That. We present some of the smartest people connected to the business of coffee. People who've succeeded in the tough grind of hospitality by staying ahead of the rest. So join us as we explore the secrets to their success and help you accelerate your business. This show is brought to you by The Coffee Commune, where the coffee community comes to collaborate. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Phil DeBella and another episode of Been There and Done That brought to you by The Coffee Commune. Today, we have something a little bit special, and of course, they're all special, uh, but um, something that I really, really want to hone in from the start. Not many people are brave enough or get their ego out of the way to come and talk on a podcast to talk about the lessons they could have learnt. I've got with me today Arif Memis from Couch Dessert Cocktail Bar, which started in 2014 and had great success and ended up with four stores and a manufacturing facility. And unfortunately, this year, all of those closed in July 2023. So what we want to capture out of this and I want to thank Arif for joining me because he's the one that approached me and said I want to go on the show and talk about the things I could have done different or better or what to look out for but the basis of it is he wants to affect change and he wants to help people so listeners you're going to be in for a magic session or a podcast this one so Arif welcome to the show and thank you. Thank you, Phil, and I appreciate you um, allowing me to come on and share my story. Well, like I said, firstly, congratulations on being brave, right? Because a lot of people are doing it tough and have done it tough, and a lot of people are out of business, but a lot of them don't want to, for whatever reason, tell their story where somebody can actually uh, learn. That's what we're going to delve in today. So give us a bit of a snapshot. Give us an overview of the couch business from when it started in 60 second, 100, you know, minute and a half on snapshot of the business and what started the whole idea. Yeah, so we were in Sydney, living there, and I had a great, great job working in the city, and I remember resigning and walking down Martin Place, and I said to my wife, I feel empty, I want to do something that means more, I want to be able to put smiles on people's faces. So I undertook about three years of research and just honestly following people around after they they ate a meal, following families, seeing groups of people that went out for dinner, then they separate and different groups go to different secondary places like a bar, like a gelato bar, like a coffee shop. Mm. And then we had friends and groups that were starting to have kids, friends that weren't allowed to go to, didn't like going to bars or alcoholic venues. So we thought, well, why not create a venue that was all inclusive and allowed for everyone to go. So we came up with the concept and then we were looking in Sydney, but it's very, very competitive, as we all know. And Brisbane 10 years years ago would have, think, allowed us to make a couple of mistakes. We weren't from the hospitality game. So we moved to Brisbane and we opened our first one in South Bank. And that was, um, it was tough. Yep. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing at the start and the and the brand evolved. In 2016, we were approached by AMP to open at Pacific Fair. And that went for four years before we moved that location to Broadbeach. Chermside opened at 2019 mm. and then we got our we became a franchise so then we opened in Garden City with our first franchise store and during COVID we realized that we we're getting uh, able to order our pancakes and waffles so we thought what better time to become vertically integrated yeah and that was a, a complete new journey and undertaking and it was probably the best thing and the hardest thing and the worst thing I've done yeah. um, so Unfortunately, that all came to a head in uh, July 23, and um, but th- the writing was probably on the wall mid-2022 when I knew that we're in a bit of 
financial trouble and we would I'm sure we'll get into it more but I think I've done everything I possibly could to, yeah. to survive so let's take it back right so if you could have done because again it's all about lessons learnt and hindsight is, is a valuable thing and we don't all have it until after the fact so what were the key triggers where, where were the key triggers that you would change if you went backwards so 2014 obviously you started concept was good it was solving a problem because it, it was one venue that had a bar that obviously had something for all ages and all requirements gelati desserts yep. you know alcoholic drinks non-alcoholic drinks coffee didn't matter right so the concept was obviously validated because 2014 i'm going to build a place where all families can go and you did that and it was successful but if you go back what would be the key areas the key turning points that you would change and why yeah it's a great quick question and um i think one of my biggest issues was that we were very debt heavy and i relied on debt to grow we didn't have equity and before i opened the kitchen or but the manufacturing facility i probably should have stopped and paused uh, in hindsight. Mm. And look, we're all genius in hindsight and I'd be a billionaire if I knew everything Correct, I did back then. Yeah. I probably should have paused and I think you had Kelly on your podcast a couple of podcasts ago and she said it about going deep and not wide. Yeah. And that's what exactly what I tried to do. I thought by opening more venues, we could go wide and we mm. could... Um, so, like I said, the production was the best thing, but it was also the heaviest thing. So, it was definitely the burden of cash and the burden of debt at the end, the, the bank with, withdrew our funding and that's what started the spiral. So if there was one thing, I think it'd be that, but also closely followed by, I got to a point where I was leading with my heart and not with my head mm-hmm, and I, was mm-hmm. making, I wasn't making the rational decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was through the people we were hiring, not cutting deep and cutting hard and fast yeah. uh, when I needed to. So they're probably the two most important yeah. things. And some really good points to pick up on there and something we talk about is the financial stability. You need a war chest. If you're listening to this and you're thinking about opening any sort of business, but especially in the hospitality business, you need a war chest. You can't rely heavily on debt because then you're not in control. So that's obviously one key lesson there. And then the other one, as you put well, Arif, is emotions. And I always say people let their ego and emotions get in the way. In your case, you wanted to do the best you could for your people. You didn't want to obviously lay people off and the rest of it. But sometimes we've got to make the hard decisions quickly because otherwise, if we don't, it's going to be detrimental at the end. Exactly. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that. So let's go back to the money side, right? Because this is something we talk about. The amount of people that don't know how to manage finances, they've got a great concept they've got a great idea, but they go into business and they don't have any sort of experience around the finances and numbers. And this includes budgeting and cash flow, right? Which are a big one. Talk us through that. Because obviously your advice now, if you're talking to somebody, if you're talking to me and saying, hey, and I say to you, if I'm looking at setting up a business, what would you be telling me around the finance and the budgeting stuff? Yeah. And I thought I knew about budgeting and cash flow because I had a mortgage broken financial planning business for 10 years. Mm. So I thought I was very well versed in that. But when it's your own and when emotion gets in the way of making financial decisions, yeah. it gets very, very complicated. And I always back myself and back my team to get to make the right decisions and, and to be able to push through and to grow. What I would say to someone now is, I think it's pretty simple. If you're relying on debt, if you're relying on leased equipment and that's your only form and you don't have that amount of capital in a war chest, yeah. don't do it. Because yeah. yeah, you don't know when the interest rates are going to rise. You don't know when the bank's going to pull the funding. You don't know when things are going to change. And if you don't have that war chest for a broken down freezer or a broken down coffee machine, 
Yeah. It won't work. And it's good advice. It really is. And I can't make it enough where, you know, we said three things run a business financially. It's a balance sheet. So make sure your balance sheet is not loaded with debt. In this case, obviously your P&L, your profit and loss, know the money coming in and the money going out. And obviously you want more coming in than what's going out. And cash flow is so important because unfortunately a lot of people use a cash register as their private <laughs> bank. They think that whatever's going in there, or in this case, going through your FPOS and goes into your bank account is yours to use. Exactly. And it's not until you pay your bills, yeah. right? And I believe like the cash flow in the PL for us was quite, quite strong. Yes. It was the balance sheet balance where sheet, we yeah. fell over. And that's what we say. I mean, again, for the listeners, key point there, it's the three documents have to work together. You heard it. Arif's just said his PL was good, the cash flow was good because people are paying straight away, of course. But the balance sheet is what sunk in the end. In other cases, it's the balance sheet strong, but people don't have the cash flow. They let their debtors get out of control. So one of those key things to take away from this discussion is know your three areas of numbers and make sure they're all healthy. Healthy balance sheet, healthy PL, and a healthy cash flow. Now let's talk about the expansion, right? So obviously, can I ask, what took you so long for you to go vertically integrated? You didn't go vertically integrated until you obviously had the three. Is it purely just the, obviously, the cash flow and the money at the time, as in the balance sheet? 100%. It was okay. cash flow. And look, COVID was... It was a great thing, but it was terrible. So we made a lot of cash, a lot of money, the government support. And when we did reopen, the stores went through mighty growth. So the money that was available for us at mid-2021, I thought, okay, and the bank was on board. I thought, great, we can become vertically integrated. And it was out of need because we couldn't get pancakes. We couldn't get the pancakes and waffles into Australia. That's another story. But- when we decided to do that, I went and recruited, I think, one of the best pastry chefs in, in Australia, and then we recruited a great team. We started the process, but having a production kitchen mm. is like nothing like running a cafe. There's so many more variables. It's chalk and cheese. It's different. Ah, once, not only did we opened in August 21, by November 21, we had Omicron, and not that we had shutdowns, but we couldn't feed the beast that was a production facility now because everything slowed down. Yeah. Then we had the floods in February. Yeah. Then the war in Ukraine started. Now, I don't know how the war in Ukraine affects our raw ingredients, but we had 700% increases. Yeah, well, it some, I mean, some items. It does with everyone. We import, people don't realize their cup of coffee, you know, the second most drunk beverage in the world only after water. The coffee comes from 45 different countries around the world. So, of course, the war in Ukraine and anything that's going on around the world that affects shipping or affects insurances or affects any sort of commodity got affected. And 100%. Ingredients that you were shipping in from all over the place. Yeah. So, um, what would you have done differently with the production facility? Obviously, besides the finance side, you make sure you got a stronger balance sheet. But at that point, you had obviously good cash flow. What would you have done different when it came to the production facility? Would you perhaps have opened that first before opening a retail, or you were still believed that the retail was the right decision and the production facility after? Look again at that particular time. I thought the production kitchen was definitely the right time, yeah. and it was out of necessity that we needed to do it. So. What we could have done differently, we probably again went too wide in our product offerings, had too much staff in, in there, probably should have went more narrow yeah. and provided the essentials mm-hmm. until we got that model working right and then tried to expand from there and maybe had the less staff in there and then utilize the money to open another retail store. Yeah. So. Well, again, you keep coming, you see the theme, right? Don't go wide and shallow, go narrow and deep yep. and keep it. Pick two, three things you're brilliant at and exploit it as hard as you can and go as deep as you can versus going wide. 
tell me, I want to lead into leases and contracts and stuff mm-hmm. like that because obviously you had five of them, right? Four yep. retail, one thing I say, you're probably going to have some good tips and tricks there for the listeners around negotiating leases and all the rest of it. But before I do that, tell me any legal or regulatory issues, you know, like COVID obviously was good because the, the government helped a lot of people with in terms of the wages and the demand went up and people started to support local and people, mm-hmm. as soon as they could get out and about, were going out and about. But was there anything from a legal or regulatory issue that sunk so you, you didn't have any issues around um, life? Licensing and liquor licensing or any issues around production facility when that was up and running. Is there anything there that hindered the possible success? And I, and I ask that because these are things that a lot of listeners would forget about, right? When, you know, you had a venue that was not only a cafe and food, and so you've got to tickle the council, but then you've also got your liquor license laws and responsible service of alcohol and all this sort of stuff. But is there anything around that area that you think contributed to the failure? There might be. Not that contributed to the failure, but I think there was a lot of things that um, we were very on top of liquor licensing and, and a lot of complaints, especially around Broad Beach because there's residential straight above a yes, uh, dining yes. precinct. So we, we ended up having to have limitations on our decibel output. And I'm trying to operate a cafe that sells yeah. desserts and cocktails. I don't know anything about decibel readers and how much music but we use places like nightlife that had their crowd dj jukebox things and they were very very good in offering support and offering people to come out and and check the decibel levels Uh, we spent a a lot of money on acoustic management and things like that so from that perspective we're quite good and in in, in the production kitchen besides a food license we pushed very hard and it cost a lot of time and energy to become HACCP approved because HACCP was something that your bid food and your other suppliers that we were selling to that would then on sell to food service they required it. And again, what we're trying to explore there is for listeners to say there's so many more things that go into running a cafe, right? Like, you know, that costs money to get um, qualifications, you know, whether it's it's HACCP or SO 9001, whatever it is, costs money, there's fees involved. And then the big one that people don't realise is like you said, the the decibel readers and music, as soon as you start serving alcohol, it's another beast. And all of this contributes to what the cost of a beer is or a cost of a cocktail or and the rest of it. And as you said you've gone in with it saying hey I'm, i want to be a dessert and coffee bar and and do some cocktails but you start to soon see that the regulatory requirements and all the stuff that goes with that all contribute to the cost exactly and that's why your coffee's not three dollars or four dollars your coffee now is more like six or six fifty because of all the costs that go into that and same with a beer or a cocktail and all the rest of it so listeners need to be aware of that and if you're in business obviously you've got to be across your legal and and regulatory issues in your business so let's go to the um negotiating now give us your tips and tricks and lessons learned around negotiating leases and contracts and and especially supply agreements, right? Because you had a unique product there for a while being supplied by other people. Talk us through that. Let's explore that a bit. Yeah, look, the leases without mentioning landlord names, we had some major issues. What we got ourselves into the issue of was being a dessert business and a cocktail business, our money was made from 6 p.m. to close, whether that's 10 o'clock, midnight, whatever it is. Mm. Now, we're in certain centres, shopping centres, where the centre had assured us. Now, luckily, I was, I guess, unknowingly, I was um, maybe arrogant enough or maybe I was stubborn enough to mm. make sure they put it into the contract to say that the surrounding precinct or the sur- surrounding tenancies had to operate till a certain time. Yeah. Now, we opened at a particular precinct, a shopping centre, and... The first week, I put up my hand and I said to the, the shopping center, uh, sorry, but I'm a dessert business. You valid, you assured me, it's in our contract, that 
everyone is going to operate yeah. till 10 o'clock at a minimum. They're closing at five. They're creating their own hours. That's not part of the core well, tra- trading. The tra- well, it's limiting the traffic flow, right? No, which is what you're paying for. So years went past. I didn't pay a red razor of rent. I kept fighting them and fighting. Now, yes, it's great. We won. We didn't pay. They ended up paying us out, fit out, and it's awesome. However, the strain and the the energy, the stress. I remember I had an anxiety attack. They put it down to, yeah, stress. So, Mm. And the two of them in the venue because it was just, I was so stressed out, the pressure on the family. So what I can say about leasing and negotiations, if you're unsure, go get legal advice. I would even go and get practical advice yeah. from other industry experts. There's companies out there that specialize yeah, on le- lease negotiations. Don't just trust your family lawyer because they haven't done it enough. Yep. We've actually got one that'll be released on the podcast series that we interviewed around leases. So yeah. stay and listen, stay tuned for that one. Because like I have said, it is a dedicated beast. And in your case, you obviously negotiated it well and, and it saved you. But ha- imagine if you hadn't had that in the contract, how much money would have been lost and it's detrimental, right? Yeah, we would have um, been clinked out. Well, so. correct. How can you be a dessert bar and cocktail bar in a precinct where there's no restaurants open? Correct. And, but yet they're charging you. And one of the key takeaways for listeners there is, I get a lot of people come to me and say, I want to open a cafe. You've got to choose the right venue, which means the right lease for what you're offering. We had one, again, without mentioning brands and all the rest of it, but they want to open in a shopping center that required them to be open for 14 hours, but they're only trading four hours a day. Their product would only trade them four hours a day, which was similar to what your situation, yours was worse, because on those four hours a day, you wanted traffic flow that they didn't provide. But know your lease, choose your location right, choose your venue right, and make sure that the place that you're looking to establish suits your business operation is the key one I got out of that, Arif. Tell us around the supply agreements because obviously you had a very unique product and hence what led to you having to start your own kitchen was that you couldn't get the product in. So talk us through the importance of supply agreements. Yeah, so we always had a great relationship with our suppliers and what we realised is during COVID, we bought a lot lot of products through Bidfood and we realised that the pancakes and waffles weren't able to be imported. Why don't we just get them made locally? That's when we realised that nobody's making them locally. So there was a massive gap in the market, but we then had to pivot to build the production facility. And then it was interesting because we weren't then, we were also buying from Bidfood, but then now also we became a supplier to Bidfood. So the negotiations and to understand what it is to become to buy and even from the other side, paying rebates and paying marketing fees and your margin, what we thought was a healthy margin was quickly disappears quickly, doesn't it? When we have to pay our own transport, we have to pay their marketing fee, we have to pay holding fees. Like... And it wasn't just used bid food. I, you know, we had a great relationship with them, but we had multiple other retailers mm. that we'll deal with. Some would pick up, some wouldn't pick up. Some would want five percent marketing fee. Some would put one eight percent. And it's like trying to understand that was an absolute minefield. And then on the other side, on the retailer side, we had I think the most complicated one was definitely the liquor supply uh, contracts, trying to understand when we get yeah. our rebate back, trying to understand when we get our promotional support, promotional support mm. when to ask for it, how much. It was so convoluted. And if you're not on top of that, there's thousands and thousands 
of dollars that you're missing out on. Yeah, some good points there. It's, it's so important. It's, liquor licensing is another beast, right? And dealing with liquor, I call the liquor companies the mafia because, you know, we were the first ever to build an espresso martini in a can 15 years ago and it was an amazing product. And when we um, went to go to market, geez, the, the amount of people that upset in terms of the liquor space because they just want to do anything to block us out. I mean, I learned a lot about products and liquor licensing and marketing fees and rebates in that space as well. Exactly. On the side. But um, important for the listeners to really understand that, you know, the themes keep coming through, know your business, don't go wide and shallow because there's so many things that makes up a business and, and the amount of moving parts. So what would be your advice right now to somebody listening to this in the cafe and saying, I'm struggling right now, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to move forward or not. What would be some of the key tips and, and thoughts and advice to them? We all get emotional and it's our baby. Yeah. Um, it was my baby for 10 years plus the three years of research. But what I realize is you need to take the emotion out of it and make the rational decision. You know, for me, I was very rational at home mm. and I was emotional at work, which was a complete flip. I wasn't filling my cup up at home yeah. with the love and the time and the energy that I needed at home to then be able to go to work and make a rational decision. Why I say, say that is when you're at work and you're leading with your heart, you're not making the right choice. So if there's one key takeaway that I would say is you need to take time out go on a break, go on a holiday. And most people say, I can't afford it. It's actually one of our common friends recently told me that the average wage for a self-employed person in, in Australia is $70,000 a year. Yeah. Now, why are we doing it for 70000 yeah, If it's not paying you the amount that you need, you're worth more on, on the open market working for someone. So whilst it's a great thing to own our own cafe and own our own business, we need to make the smart uh, yeah. decisions and thankfully there's places like now which I didn't know like the coffee commune that you can come and ask for advice and get the right advice from different people but most people think we're in it by ourselves yeah. you're not you you're need not. to turn to Correct. industry professionals and and ask for people can reach out to, to me people I'm sure pe people can reach out to you Phil yeah. and say is this business worthwhile yeah. should I continue because sometimes the decision might be to pivot change Cut your hours, increase your hours, whatever it may be, but you can't do that with an emotional. Um, Some really good points, and I really thank you for sharing that. The emotion side. So get down, you know, you hear me saying it all the time, listeners, pen and paper never lies. Um, it was taught to me by a good Greek person, actually, he said, get a pen and paper and, and write down your thoughts and feelings and try and cut the emotion out of it, really honed in on there, and get the support. You're right. The concept of Coffee Commune came to help people accelerate their potential. When people ask me about Coffee Commune, it's a bittersweet project, right? It, it's sweet because it's solving people's problems it's bitter because you're hearing so many issues and you don't want people to go through hardships mm. but fortunately that was the concept behind here is to get people in and help them hopefully before they're, they're in any trouble but especially if they're in any trouble to engage with us at the coffee commune so that we can see you know what we can do to help it really is one of those things and, and there's not just us there's obviously um we've got a great queensland small business commissioner dominic land she she opened up the show you know when we started being there done that and i wanted her to set the scene of small business you know and she's a remarkable woman doing remarkable things and you don't realize and, and if you're listening to it this is your first podcast you're listening you need to go back to episode one listeners and listen to dominic lamb where she actually talks about the small business tools that are available and and I, there was a lot there that i didn't know or if there was um you know, coaching and financial assistance but unfortunately sometimes it's too late because we're not telling the story and again it's why always say thank you to you because it gives us that content to be able to tell the story so for listeners out there get support Keep the emotion out of it. Know your numbers. These are some of the key things that obviously Arif's been talking about. 
And let's segue down to business planning. You obviously had a very strong financial background. So I presume you had a solid business plan when you started. Yeah. The business plan was great for the first week. Yeah. And then it goes out the window and then it's, you sort of, you know, we undertook a very, like we had a long 120 page business plan, but that then sits in the drawer and doesn't yeah. get used and it needs to evolve and needs to move. And be practical, right? And be practical. That's what I say to people. You can do business. If you can't get a business strategy on one page, and there's a great one out there called the Gazelle's One Page Strategy. If you can't get your business plan on one page, then it's just going to sit in a drawer. And you said the magic words, sit in the drawer and gather dust. Exactly right. And then you forget the key indicators that you had written down to when you need to affect change, when you need to make a move. Mm. So then, because you're busy being busy. And I, I, that was one thing that I've taken away from it. We were always, all cafe owners are so busy being busy and you can never get time for yourself, never get time to look at the numbers, never get time. I'm not just saying look at them. I'm saying sit down. Understand them. Understand them and really take time. The business plans for me now are something that it needs to be on a one page. It needs to evolve and it needs to be smack bang in your face. First thing you look at, Perfect. last thing you see, and it needs to evolve weekly, monthly, fortnightly, whatever it is, but it's not a set and forget. Yeah, great. And listeners, one-page strategy. You need to do it. You need to know it. And the key one there for me is don't be busy being busy. We know you're busy. We know you have to work in the cafe right now. We know that everyone's trying to get their labor costs down so they're working more hours in the cafe. But learn from someone who's sharing his story from four stores to zero. The riff is sharing his story. He's been there. He's done that. And hence the name of this podcast series, Been There, Done That. Uh, we're not talking to rah-rah clubs. We're talking to people that have really got the experience. And you've heard it from someone who's got the experience and said, don't get caught up in being busy because you need to know your numbers. You're still got to make that time to know your numbers, know your strategy. Otherwise, you're just going to keep spiraling down. And, and again, I thank you for that key nugget. And I can't just stress that enough for the listeners is that you can't just keep going being busy. And we know you're putting 100 hours plus in at the moment. We know that, right? But sometimes you're the pigeon and sometimes you're the statue and the listeners hear that all the time. Um, right now, business owners, especially in hospitality, are being the statue. We're, we're there and we're copping it from all sorts, right? We're copping it from government, legislation, student visa changes. We're copping it from inflation, higher expenditure, government wasting money so it doesn't have a war chest to help people. We're copping it from employees with unemployment at 3%. We know that. But again, if you don't get on the front foot, if you don't get sit down with a pen and paper, if you don't build a one-page strategy, you are going to spiral down. Tell me, if you could change something around the staffing, what would it be? Wow. So this, this is a big, big topic. In terms of what I would change legally? Yeah. Look, this may be contentious and I don't know if we're going to... You're speaking from experience. I don't know if we're going to agree on this, Phil, but I think hospo people and staff, they cop a a lot. They work hard. They probably deserve more than what they get paid. However, I believe there needs to be some sort of tip system, in my opinion, because a business cannot sustain i think the last rise for a level two is 30 dollars now for me it's it's high and it's causing the pancakes i think i wrote i said an article i said to the courier mail when they first called me with everything that's culminating including the rising wages i'd have to sell pancakes a pancake stack for 50 bucks so they wrote an article saying dessert owner can't sell pancakes 50 dollars so it's shutting down it's not what i said yeah and I want to reward the staff. I think the staff deserve more than what they Agreed. get paid. I'm not going to argue on that. However, if I'm going to sell a pancake or a eggs Benny, whatever it is, at 35 bucks, and people don't want to pay it, 
there should be a level of, well, we're going to provide exceptional service, which I think we did, and then there should be some sort of tip system. I don't know. There's people out there smarter than me, but I reckon... Well, look, your theory is very... We're aligned with your theory, whether it is a tip system, but you can't argue logic, and the logic is the following... It's no business owner in any industry, let alone hospitality, wants to pay their staff that do a great job, that turn up, that are reliable, treat their customers amazing, want to pay them less. We always want to pay them more. And there's one qualifier. And the qualifier is that in this industry, wages used to be 30, 35% of takings. I can tell you now, and we supply into over a thousand cafes and growing, that the average wage right now is around 45 to 48% of takings, which means wages hasn't gone up in line with what the customer is prepared to pay. And I think you've explained that really well, Arif. And obviously, we've got a lot of cafe owners that listen to this and business owners, but we need a lot of customers and consumers to listen to this. Nobody wants to pay their staff low wages, but they can only pay them in, re- in relation to what you're prepared to pay for the pancake, for the cup of coffee, for the bacon and eggs. Because I'll tell you now, 50%, if you just want to use this nice, simple number, 50% of next time you go to a cafe or restaurant, whatever they're charging on their menu, 50% of that is going straight to wages, right? So unfortunately and I can say this because it's my show, <laughs> and it gives me the liberty to be direct, and I'm direct anyway, the problem is always the same person that wants to talk about the problem. And what I mean about that is there's a lot of people out there that want to talk about the hospitality industry and the workers getting ripped off. They're the problem. That person's the problem. Because that per- that's the person that wants to pay $2 for a cup of coffee, $10 for bacon and eggs. So take a good look at yourself next time you're having a whinge about wages because I can tell you now it's not the business owner that's causing the problem. The business owner wants to pay the staff well. You just heard it with a riff. He had four stores. I'm, I deal with a 1,000 stores and I can tell you they all want to pay their people well. 100%. But they can only pay them in line with what you're prepared to pay for a product or service. You know, I had a good friend of mine who owns a, he owned a fantastic cafe at Wilston. Yeah. And he recently closed his doors and we caught up and, you know, we're both telling our story to each other. And I said to him, you know, we're talking about his wage costs and he was all inclusive with super and everything was at 52%. And I said, like, he was my mentor. He was the one that saved me when we first Mm -hmm. opened by providing me a simple spreadsheet that we're using to the last day. Obviously, it evolved after four years. And I said to him, but you told me that we had to keep to 30. Uh, Not that I did. We were pushing 38, 40% at the end. And he just had tears in in his eyes and he goes, It's not sustainable. Arif, how? Like, how can I charge my customer that much? I can't, but I I need to pay my stuff. And that just story goes on and on. and And it's a great lesson. You know, again, nobody wants to pay their staff low. We want to pay their staff more, especially now when they're turning up to work, they're bringing great culture, they're they're serving customers well and all the rest of it. But you can only pay them in line with what the customer's prepared to pay. And I'll tell you now, our cafe, which is only a small bit, you know, it still does 2,000 transactions a week. That's transactions, not people. So it could be... 4,000 people that come through, right? The cafe is nothing in what we do in the big scheme of things of Coffee Commune. It's there to serve a purpose. I just thought I get the numbers every Monday morning. Last week, we were 46% wages. That's us. We're 46% wages. Like, Crazy. I'm the landlord. If I wasn't the landlord, you know, I can tell you now, the cafe still doesn't make money. It breaks even. But it breaks even with me being the landlord. If I was paying rent on top of that. So you think about this, listeners. 46% wages, 10% of rent is at the average, 8 to 12, so call it 10%, 10% GST, 30% cost of goods. We've run over the 100% mark. Very easily. Yeah. And and, and, and you haven't even put in all the other utilities, costs, gas, electricity, yep. Yep. and the rest of it. And that's why, again, one of the reasons we do this show, been there, done that, is to bring people on like yourself, Arif, that have been there and done that to tell real stories because 
let's face it, people don't know what they don't know. And, and what we want with this podcast is to help educate people through telling real stories from people like yourself that have been there and done that to share their stories. Because I can't tell you, it's so important, like you said. That $50 pancake stack, well, are you going to charge $50? Well, not if it's unless it's 20 stories high. Yeah. Um, but realistically, if you had to get all your numbers in a line and make sure everything was right, that's what you should be charging. But again, that's not reasonable for a customer. So it, it really is out there. The listeners have to take this away. If you're a business owner out there, you need to know your numbers and you need to find that sweet spot. And if you're a consumer out there listening to this, just be very, very empathetic towards a business owner in the hospitality space. We should be empathetic at all times, but especially right now in the space of hospitality, it's a time to be empathetic and do what you can when you can, because it is tough out there. And hospitality is one of the biggest industries in the country, as we know, and it touches everyone's life. So tell me, rounding back, a couple of key points. The floor is yours. What would you like to talk about? Yeah, Again, I appreciate that you've come on the show. Just to conclude to summarize anything that we haven't explored that you'd love to speak about get out get off your chest or um share with the listeners that they could take some extra away from what you've already shared now look i mean i think the most important thing that i want i want to share is i know i got in a pretty dark place and i going back six months if someone told me talked about mental health or talked about work-life balance and i would chuckle and laugh and i wouldn't appreciate it and i'm I think a lot of people misunderstand it and I probably mis- misunderstood it, but I'm passionate about the industry and I'm passionate about small business, but I'm not going to say it's not fair, but people need to wear the, we design our destiny and by being busy, being busy and not taking time for ourselves, it's to our own detriment. And if you might not care, but if you've got a family child, loved ones, they care. Yeah. If you're absent, if you're not there, you're not being the best version. Working 100 hours and like you said, being a statue, you're not effective. You need to stop, reset, find a niche, find the, work the numbers out and then go again. So I started to have some pretty horrible thoughts. Mm. And because I was passionate, I did not want to burn a supply. I did not want to burn even the lenders. I There was family money involved that I'd borrowed. So that was the last thing I wanted to do. But when you reflect back and you think, why didn't I just stop and reset? And people feel lonely. People feel like they can't talk to people. Mm. So to me, it's about just stopping. My details are on my LinkedIn. I'm sure you're you're available anytime. Well, we'll put that on the podcast too. Just people can reach out and ask for advice. I mean, just get some advice because sometimes it's worth talking to, talk Mm. to someone and make that right decision. So, And you said mental health is key, right? All health is key, especially our mental health. And that's one of the things that I've always, that's why I love the pen and paper analogies. You know, our brains are having 60, 70,000 conversations a day. If you're a business owner going through stress, it's probably double that because, you know, you've got all sorts of stuff going on. So get down, piece of paper and a pen, sit down. And and one of the things that I love to share with people, Arif, is this, am I doing the the best that I can at the time that it's happening with the resources that I have. And I think that's a really good mental health check. Mm. It's a good check in general to, you know, grab a piece of paper and a pen and go, right, and put the three questions down. Am I doing the best that I can at the time that it's happening with the resources that I have available? And I think what spits out of that is is that level of comfort going, you know what, I'm being too harsh on myself or, hey, I should be a little bit, bit harder on myself or, or whatever it is to you. And because you want to be in that right frame of mind, which then segues to what you touched on, which is I talk about work-life harmony. 
you can't be the best version for yourself at work, and you've made that very, very clear through the podcast. You can't be your best version at work if you're not your best version yourself and for your family. So listeners, understand that it is personal, family, and professional that makes up who we are as a person. So again, piece of paper and a pen. Who do I, who am I, and where am I right now as a person, individual? Where am I, and who am I as a, as a family person? Because everyone's family got different. Some have got kids, some don't have kids. Some have sick kids, unfortunately, all sorts of stuff, right? And then where am I professionally in my life? Where do I want to be? And to me, that makes up the what I call life-work harmony, not balance. It's got to work harmoniously together. Arif, closing comments? Tell me. We touched on financial, we touched on staff, we've touched on a lot, we touched mental health, obviously leases and all the rest of it. What's next for you? Because I know that you want to share and keep sharing and you want to make an impact. So what's next for you to be able to do that? Great quick question. Look, I'm on the market, I'm on the hunt. I want to do something that, that affects change. I want to do something that means more. So watch this space. I want to maybe launch my own podcast and talk, uh, talk about I highly the recommend it. We've uh-huh. got a good producer here, Gilberto, can help you too. Definitely, so. I'll chat with Gil afterwards and just be able to share the story. And I, I think being vulnerable and being truthful is something that I've learned and I struggled with. But I, I think if people are and someone can take one thing away from my failure or my success, whichever way people want to look at it, then I can do the right by them. So, yeah, I, I want to be able to help. So Yeah, and we'll make sure that it's accessible. People can reach out. And remember that your past is only part of the story. The future is there to change, right? And I say that to people, you know, you look at companies like Kodak, they were around for 30 years and they're nowhere to be seen now. Well, it's how do we see a Rift 2.0 that matters and what you do next and and obviously, and you know, sometimes I say we go two steps back so that we can go five steps forward. Exactly. Um, And I don't think you meet anybody in life that's pushed hard and having a full life that hasn't gone backwards once or twice or many times to take them to where they are today. I thank you. I can't thank you enough for joining us. I'm sure the listeners will get so much out of this. I wish you best of luck with everything you do next. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. So this has been Phil DeBella and Arif Memes, and it's been there, done that. And as you can see, Arif has certainly been there and done that. And we're so grateful for him for sharing his um, wisdom and knowledge and lessons learned. And we hope that if you need help, reach out. The Coffee Commune is here to help you. So are other organizations. Go back and listen to episode number one, where with Dominic Lamb talking about how Queensland Small Business Commissioner's Office can help. Get the help. Do the work. Don't be the key one for me is don't keep on being busy to be busy to be busy you've got to get in there and do what's necessary so that you're around tomorrow till next time go and be the best you can be that's a wrap for today keep listening for more episodes of been there and done that the coffee commune is here to help accelerate your potential we want you to be better tomorrow than today until next time you've been listening phil DeBella. i'm the founder and managing director of the coffee commune a place where the coffee community comes to collaborate.